0: inside your bulletin. Also, is a connection card if you'll take a moment and uh, fill that out with as much information as you feel comfortable giving us, and you can uh, drop that in one of the baskets at the exits as you leave this morning, and there is a gift there also for you. So I've got five minutes to get through my part uh, of this message. So they're clocking me up here. They got the light ready to turn it red when it's, I'm, I'm done. So one of the things, let me just kind of set up these testimonies. One of the things uh, that we teach our children growing up is to say please and thank you, right? We want them to express gratitude uh, when someone does something nice for them. And uh, a couple weeks ago, my daughter called me and said, hey, Dad, I'm, I'm really sick. Could you come and... Uh, you know, I, I need something, some medicine. So I got her medicine. I said, I'll take Cooper home with me, our grandson. And he's two years old. And uh, on my way home, you know, I got to fix him breakfast. He hasn't eaten breakfast. So I slide through McDonald's and get him a sausage egg McMuffin. Don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> so I take him home, you know. I put him in his little high chair, put him up to the table. And I break up his, his uh, sausage biscuit. And I put it on the plate and in front of him. And he said, thank you. Thank you. My heart melted. I mean, you know, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" He said, "Thank you." That's so sweet. Now, now, obviously, he's been taught to say thank you when someone does something for him, and I don't know that he understands the full capacity of what it means to say thank you for something. And and I really share that to say this is that there is a big, big difference between uh, being able to say thank you. And actually living with a grateful heart. And that's one of the things we're going to discover during the course of this series. Because sometimes, again, our default mechanism is not uh, gratitude, but ingratitude. And that brings with it all kinds of ramifications. And so where does gratitude rank on your arsenal list of Christian virtues? You know, we think about Christian virtues, we think about mountain-moving faith, and we think about, uh, you know, uh, radical obedience and patience and long-suffering and going the second mile with somebody. But rarely do we think gratitude as something as like a Christian virtue. It's more like something that is optional, uh, that we use and express when things, you know, go well and go our way. Yet the Bible challenges us, and here's our anchor verse for this series. And so, first, Seth... Seth Thessalonians 5.18, when it says um, these words, give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, how many? Oh, you can go and circle that in your Bible. In all circumstances, watch this, for this is God's will for you. People talk about God's will all the time. and You know, I don't, I don't understand God's will. I really want to know what God's will in this. You know, God's will is more than just what you do. It is an attitude we have circumstances, when you think about all the circumstances that you have encountered in life. He says it's God's will. So I have discovered that in all circumstances, I can choose to respond in one of two ways. I can either choose to whine or worship. And if I'm going to choose to worship, you cannot separate worship from a heart of gratitude. They're one and the same. And so again, gratefulness The attitude of gratitude is not our default setting. Our default setting, because there are so many things about our life experiences that occupy our thoughts, that feed our fears, that add to our worries. Our default is we come to that private of, why me, Lord? Why me? How many of you said that? All right, I'm not alone up here, okay? Yeah, we've all, right? Why me, Lord? Why is life so hard? Why can't other people just be normal? Why did this have to happen to me? And now, yeah, Lisa, why won't anybody love me for who I am? You know, there there are all kinds of why me's that we express and experience. Why do I have to be alone? And why doesn't the Bible work for me like it does for others? Why, Why am I supposed to just accept this? Why me? And so in Psalm 107, there, is, there are four testimonies that are given in this verse. I'm not going to expound on the verses. I just want to point out the testimonies because you're going to see a pattern in all four testimonies. So let take your bulletin. Let's read the first three verses together in the same translation all together out loud. Here we go. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. In other words, from all across the world. So here's the pattern of these four testimonies. Somebody's in distress, right? Something's happened. You know, it can be like the why me? And then there is a desperate cry to the Lord. And then there is divine deliverance. And once they've experienced God's divine deliverance, each testimony is punctuated by a thanksgiving chorus. So let me point out the four testimonies. You can jot this down in your Bible. The first one's found beginning in verse 4, the second one in verse 10, the third one in verse 17, and the fourth one in verse 23. I just want to look at the first one as an example and a little bit of the second one. Watch Watch the pattern Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. How many people do you know living in the world today who are are just kind of wandering, trying trying to find contentment, trying to find out why they're here, why they even exist, And now they've filled their lives with so many different things, but it's like drinking, as the prophet says, from a a broken cistern, and nothing seems to satisfy, nothing fulfills, and it just gets worse and worse. And so there are a lot of people whose testimony is like this, right? You know, I was just going along. I I didn't know why I was here, why I belonged here. And all of a sudden, you know, um, God just kind of met me where I was. And now notice the next verse. Then I cried out to the Lord. In their, in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress, and he led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle, and let them give thanks. Here's the, the, the thanksgiving course behind each testimony. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. He has satisfied the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. No, next testimony. Some sat in darkness and deepest glooms, prisoner, suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of the Lord and despised the counsel of the Most High. How many people are sitting in, in physical, spiritual, emotional darkness? You know, I've been sitting on the committee for the opioid epidemic here in the state of Ohio and, uh, you know, going to all the not just meetings, but the. the uh, You know, we've been having public meetings and and trying to address this situation, and me, you know, having been, you know, in that addiction process in my own life, you know, you're just like sitting in darkness, and, and it doesn't matter, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, the darkness just keeps getting darker. But then at some point, you know, God just like through his Holy Spirit just reaches down into your heart and breaks through with a, just a small beam of light at first. And now all of a sudden you just like cry out to the Lord and he hears your cry and he delivers you from your distress. And as a result of that, what, there is praise and there is thanksgiving and gratitude. And this is the the psalmist over and over again throughout this psalm about the testimony after testimony. And what it is a picture of, it is a picture of guilt and grace and gratitude. And that is the foundation. It is the gospel. It is the foundation of why we should be grateful in all circumstances at all times. Amen? because here's what the gospel says you were born in a state of inescapable guilt our guilt has been swallowed up by God's grace and undeniable guilt plus undeserved grace should equal unbridled gratitude it is the power of the gospel to save to heal and to deliver we're going to hear three testimonies that testify about that very fact the power of god to save, to heal, and to deliver. And the very first person who's coming is Lauren Buell. So give her a big round of applause for coming and sharing with us today.
1: Good morning. I am nervous. So hopefully if I just lay that out there now, that can kind of calm the nerves a little bit. Um, So... I'm Lauren. Um, I'll just kind of start from the beginning. So, um, grew up in Cincinnati. There was four of us. We were known as the Brady Bunch. I'm emotional already, you guys. I haven't even started. Okay. So, we were known as the Brady Bunch family. On the outside, looking in, we were perfect. Well-behaved kids. Um, everything was great. And uh, we would go to church, um, typical holidays, Christmas and Easter, and Everything from the outside looking in, we really, truly were. People called us the Brady Bunch. Um, We never misbehaved outside of that, and my parents were perfect parents. But behind closed doors, it it was a different story. So it was, um, my father was um, an alcoholic, and he was very abusive, um, and he had multiple affairs. Um, But to me, that was okay, because I was strong enough to handle it. So, oh, growing up, always wanting my parents to get divorced, and then finally it happened. Finally, my dad was like, I'm done. I'm just going to get a divorce. And I'm like, yes, we can finally not live in fear. This is exactly what I want. Um, so he left, but immediately there was struggle. There was, um, there was no money. Things were tight. Water was shut off, things like that. But I would just pray, right? So I would pray, God, like, We got to have water somehow. I'm not going to school if I cannot take a shower. So it snowed. So I scooped the snow up, put it in the bathtub. You know, heated it up, did all that. And that was great um, because I could still control it. If I just prayed about it, I can control it a little bit. Um, And so growing up, going through those struggles, I didn't exactly have the best idea of what a husband should be, but I knew that I was going to choose differently than my mom. And I wasn't going to choose someone that could physically hurt me because I was too strong for that. So when I got married, um, as long as I could control everything as far as, you know, I, I chose who I wanted. And um, we, you know, we lived in this house and we just had this from the outside looking imperfect life. Again, we had great jobs, we had money, we had the house, and then we had our son. And that's what I wanted. And I was like, um, All right. So we had my son, and I was like, okay, let's go to number two. And um, just things started happening where my um, husband started pushing me away, and I didn't really understand why, because life was perfect. Um, so um, we got into this huge fight, and I didn't understand why. Um, we, we went to church every once in a while because it was a New Year's resolution, Let's try to go to church once every month. Um, we can control that, and that would make us good people, right? So we go to church once every month. We had this outward appearance of being great, um, but one day my husband came home, and mind you, I'm sorry, I'm so flustered. I'm like all over the place. Um, how do I say it? I, I went, Brett. I went dead. Hold on a second. I'm so sorry, guys. This is awful. Um. Oh, it is nerve-wracking. It really is up here. Like, sitting in my seat, I'd be totally okay. So, right, thank you. Um, (laughs) I'll come down in a second. Um, I guess I'm just trying to paint this life that I, I didn't need God. He was there when I needed something, right? He would answer my prayers, but he did not fully have my heart. I was in control of what I wanted, and I wanted to look perfect to everybody. I wanted to have that perfect life, and one day, my husband came home, um, and it was my worst fear to get a divorce because my mom made that mistake. I wasn't doing that mistake again. I wasn't going to be a single mom and have no money and have to melt snow again and heat it up to take a bath. That was not going to be me again, and My husband and I got into this huge fight, and I couldn't even tell you what it was about because it didn't make any sense to me. And he says, I want a divorce. I don't love you anymore. Well, being the strong person that I am, I said, all right, you'll be just fine, whatever. And so I was like, well, just take whatever time you need. I'll go to my mom's in Cincinnati. We'll work it out when I get back. So I spent a few few days in Cincinnati. Um, And when I came back, you know, during that time of thinking and, and just like what what is going on? I, I can't control this anymore. I can't make you stay. So just get over it because we have to stay married. We have to have this perfect family. And I, I can't do a divorce as an adult. Um, so I came back and um, I, I just apologized for everything. I said, I am so sorry if I, if I nagged you too much or asked you to help out too much or, you know, whatever it was, I'm so sorry for every little thing. Um, but it didn't matter. He says, you can apologize for whatever you want. I, I'm done. I just don't want to be married anymore. I want to live my own life. And I was like, no, 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 really. Like, it's like, for real, this isn't really happening. And he goes, no, I'm done. And I just dropped to my knees and I just screamed out. And I'm like, but what am I supposed to do? Who is going to take care of me? And I immediately heard this voice saying, you follow me, and I will take care of you. And I'm like, well, okay. So I I just got up, and my son was screaming in the corner because he heard his parents fighting, and he didn't know what was going on. And I just went, I, I put him in the car, and we went to the church that we had been to once a month because of our New Year's resolution. And I walked into the office. And I couldn't even get out what I needed because I was just hysterical. I had no control over anything. And the secretary, bless her heart, was like, okay, we're going to get you in counseling right away. (laughs) So we did counseling. And through that, um, just having those blinders taken off of who God is and how he is in control of our lives was completely amazing, and so I just started, I just started digging into who he is, and I just had this hunger for him of just wanting the world to stop, that way I could just sit in a room and just study, and just get more of him, and just be totally filled with him, Um, but yet life was still hard. I was this newly single mom. I had all these, all this shame, and this rejection, and I was no longer perfect to people, Um, and so there were so many things that God really had to, had to work through me and show me. Um, and through that counseling, learning, um, just how to be in constant communication with God and how for so long, I thought that I was a good person. So I was going to go to heaven, but God did not have my heart. Um, he did not have control of my life. He didn't have control of anything I did. And so coming to Christ and having that, that veil taken away, It it changed my life. I went from, you know, this, yeah, just, you know, what I thought was a good person to realizing I'm not good at all. I am a sinner, and I do bad things. But at the end of the day, my heart is on Jesus, and that is who I'm going to follow. And I'm not rejected by Jesus. I'm not shamed by Jesus. I'm not forgotten by Jesus. And so that was just—he just poured his love on me. And so he left, and I literally was like, "Well, it'll be okay. Like, I'm just—we'll just figure it out." And so God just came alongside, and all these fears that I had from my childhood, He just a blanket over them. Like they no longer bother me anymore. I realized I didn't have to be so strong and I didn't have to have it together. I could tell you I am a hot mess and be okay with that. Um, and just learning so much. So um, during that, so, so my husband left um, and my son and I had to immediately move out of the house. And um. God has provided. And I think a lot of my fears from childhood was that financial part. How am I, being a teacher, don't make anything, now a single mom, have to pay for daycare and everything else. How is this going to happen? And so I do Dave Ramsey. I budgeted. And I knew, okay, Lord, I got $600. That I that's it. <laughs> I was six hundred dollars for an apartment. How am I gonna do that? And I searched apartments all over Columbus, and then he kind of led me into this one, and there was a it was a two-bedroom town home. And I'm like, there is no way I can afford this. And there was a special going on that month for $599 a year, like for the whole year for $599. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Down to the dollar. So he just showed different, like different ways that he provided for me. And gave me that reassurance of who, and my love just began to, I could fully trust in who he is. Um, and my love just began to grow for him. There is truly nothing better than Jesus. Nothing. Um, and I have to share this story as well. I'm, I'm rushing. I'm really sorry. I talk way too fast. Um, Going through this divorce, my son and I just moved up to Columbus, and I'm living alone for, I kid you not, the very first time in my life. It is just my son and I, and just scared to death, and I then find out that, um, my, that my soon-to-be ex-husband has already moved in with someone else, and that crushed me. Um, it was like him leaving was, was one huge storm, but I was getting over that. But then hearing that now, you know, there's another storm that I'm now not going to be the only mom. And, you know, this, that battle of like some, like he thought that someone was better. And there's like this competition um, that hurt again. And I couldn't sleep because of it. I couldn't, I just, I I couldn't get rest. And I just screamed out to God. I was like, God, I've got to get some sleep. I'm so, I, I, I can't. I just, I need to sleep. I need you to spoon me while I spoon Maxin, And we. I just need to sleep. And I was so exhausted. And I just closed my eyes. And I woke up in the exact same position, holding my son and God holding me. And I felt like I slept forever. I was so rested and just thinking back on how he provided financially for me, how he provided that rest, how he provided that love, and just took over my life and and did things that I could never do, that I couldn't even imagine doing. And it was just so amazing. And so during my counseling, learning that when you're in a storm, always trying to find what God is teaching you. What does he want you to know? How does he want your faith to grow, your trust to go in what he's doing? And just putting your focus back on him and less of on your own circumstance. Um, and so I learned contentment. That was a huge one for me. Um, when my husband left, to be honest, and this sounds so bad, it wasn't the fact that he left. It was the fact that I no longer could have five children. I was going to have one. That was it. You know, unless I was going to really go outside of God's will, that was going to be it. And that crushed me because I always pictured my life of having five kids, being that perfect family. And so when I only had one, I had to love that one and cherish that one and be grateful for that one and not want more. Um, I had to learn how to give up control, which is really hard. It's a constant battle um, in the things that I can control and the things that I can't. Um, I went before, when I was before Christ, never crying. Like, if you would have cried to me, I'd have been like, Girl, you are weak. I'm over it. Because to me, cry, I'm, I'm so, <laughs> sorry. Crying meant you were weak to me, and now I cry all the time and I can stop, and sometimes it's annoying, but it's also that constant reminder of just like how good God is to take away that crutch, and that strength that I thought I had in myself, and realize that my Christ is only founded in him, that is strength, and the tears flow. Um, I never would have been able, I never would have written this plan for my life, because it was ugly, and it's messy, and and it's raw, but the way that God planned things and and taught me to release some of those fears and those crutches that I had, I would go over again and again and again if it meant that I would have Jesus at the end of the day. That is what matters. I would go through that emotion of knowing my husband has now found another. I would do that again and again and again as long as I get to have Jesus there is no pain that he will not comfort you on, that he will not get you through. Um, and the amazing thing through that, um, being this single mom, I, you know, was learning about God. But I also was like, all right, God, I am content with this one kid. I'm, I'm not going to get married again. I'm not going to have any more kids. I'm just going to serve you I have you, that's all I want anyway, but I'm content with this one, so I'm just going to do whatever you want for my life. I'm not gonna start dating when I haven't fully healed from my divorce. Um, I truly knew that going in, I was not gonna bring in baggage into the next relationship. Um, And a few years after my divorce, I I wasn't as affected, I wasn't as hurt by my ex-husband, even when he tried to hurt me. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, why not start dating? Like, what's you know, let's just have some fun. And I didn't even have to date. Um, well, I did Christian Mingle for like a month. And <laughs> there was this one, um, there was this profile picture of this guy. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't even know he is not my type. He is like some skinny drummer. And he's like got so many profile pictures up there. That is not me at all. I'm like the athletic type. and I, But I just kept going back to this profile. And uh, I in this time, I made a list, right? Because I chose so incorrectly the first time. I wasn't about to choose incorrectly the second. And so I made a list. And my list wasn't like he's got to have strong muscles, but it was he had Christ. He has to be making that. He has to go to church every Sunday. His heart has to be set on Christ. He has to be making that choice. He has to accept my son as his, not as a stepchild. And so I went on this date with this guy, and I was like, huh, that was pretty easy. Okay. And so we went on a second date, and I was like, oh, man. I'm going to marry him. And so, and you guys, if you knew me back then, you would say, really? Really? Because he is my, he's my musician and that's not me. And, you know, but it is the perfect match. And the way that God just checked everything off that list of who I wanted and who I needed in a husband, he, he is my partner. And it was so amazing. We got married eight months later like legitimately eight months later, and I never could have planned that, because if y'all would have told me that you got married with we eight months, I would have been like, mm-hmm, you sure about that? But so it's just been great, and we now have three children, um, and during that time of dating, I remember going over that list with him, like, yeah, and so <laughs> being able, for him being able to check it, and it, it is just so beautiful how his story and my story are very similar, and that how God worked through our fears before meeting each other, um, and how He took my first son, son as His own. And even while we were dating, me asking, "Okay, how are you going to make sure that you're not putting future children in front of out like in front of Max and How can you do that?" And his answer, I tell you what, about knocked my socks off. He said, "Well." Joseph wasn't any less of a father to Jesus just because he wasn't his, right? Yeah. So I was sold. <laughs> I was sold. And now just this, this beautiful mess that we have of what we learned and it is like I'm speechless sometimes because I recount it and like going through that pain and going through the the questioning and the... Well, am I making the right choice? And is this where you want me to go and just keep leading me, God? All this uncertainties, knowing that, okay, God, as long as I follow you, nothing else matters. Like, you will get me to exactly to where I need to be. But my focus has to be on Christ. And knowing, like, where I was in this pit, not knowing my next step, not knowing tomorrow, and how he provided this amazing husband and these beautiful children as a huge blessing when I was like, okay, no, I'm cool with one, and I'm cool with being single. That's totally fine. plan for myself for you. And it's more than I could have ever written. I could have ever planned for myself. And I am so grateful. And I would do it again. I would get brokenhearted again as long as I had Christ. Um, I am truly redeemed. You know, like, like he bought me back. When I was rejected, he, he took me, and I just, I relate very much to the story of Ruth um, and Naomi and all that they went through and the hard work and just finding their hope in Christ and just knowing what he will do for our lives. Um, I'm so grateful, and now I get to raise my kids knowing what I didn't know, what I had to learn out the hard way and learn later in life, knowing how to make God's word your foundation, And always putting your faith and your trust in him. Not strain for that for a second. But no matter what happens in your life, no matter what storm you're going through, no matter how weak your faith is, just trust him. Because he's got something planned that is better than you could ever write.
2: Let's stand for a moment and uh, if we could go to the previous, uh, the next song, Forever, Rain." Great. Chosen some songs that will help us just reflect on each testimony and uh, allow you to have a moment to process through what you've heard. So this is a great song that helps us to remember, as uh, Lauren said a moment ago, there was nothing good in her. God is good even when we are not. You are good, you are good. When there's nothing good in me You are love, you are love On display for all to see You are light, you are light When the darkness closes You, all my sin. you are hope, you are hope You have covered all my seed, You are peace And oh, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your... will ever say you are lord you are lord all creation now proclaims and you are here you are here in your presence i made whole you are god you are god of all else i'm left You may be seated. We're going to hear from our next testimony now.
3: Thank you, Brian. Are we on? There we go. Okay. Uh, as, as you all know, I'm Brian Willis. I'm part of the leadership team here at... Uh, at First Baptist Church. And I just thank you all so much for just being here today and just uh, listening to these testimonies and the new way that we're now going forward in our church. And it's one of these things that we really need to look and look into our membership and, and just say so much of all the many blessings and gifts that we have. So I'm going to go ahead and share my testimony today. Are you ready? Get it closer to my mouth? Okay, there we go. Uh, Brian, they misspelled my name. They spelled it the way you do. So I just want to let you know that that's not true. So, well, first of all, let me share with you today that this has been the worst year of my life and the best year of my life. All right, let me explain what that means. I know I've shared my testimony with so many of you out here. So I just want to go ahead and share and, and go ahead. Uh, if you can put that, yeah, that's that's my uh, Christine. Uh, that's our wedding picture. Uh, we met in the year 2000, and then we got married in uh, July 1st, 2000. Uh, she is and has always been the love of my life, and as you can see, one of the most beautiful women you will ever meet. Uh, she's very well-read, very well-educated, just uh, my best friend. Well, we were married for 18 years. Nine years of our marriage, she had cancer. So you say, well, you had a great marriage. Yeah, she she really was a great woman. Um, and I, I share this, and folks, this is not easy. As you know, I'm an evangelist. I'm, I, I, I lead people to Christ, and when I talk about myself, this is very difficult for me. So, uh, basically, uh, she had uh, had cancer for a long period of time, and then in uh, January, uh, the cancer had changed a little bit, and they said, well, you through. Well, James, and I said, okay. So, we just thought this was another thing that we were going to go through, well, I uh, I only worked three days in January, and she entered the James, and she went through treatment and treatment and treatment, and um, I would only leave at 4:30 in the morning and go home, take a shower, feed the cat, change my clothes, and come back. So I was there with her nonstop during the entire time. Well, what had happened is that uh, the cancer kept growing, and she was doing well. However, uh, she uh, on a Saturday morning at 8 o'clock she had a seizure. At that point, her body uh, gave up, and her spirit left her, and she didn't pass away until uh, the next uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock at Kobacker Hall. As I said, this is the worst day of my life, and, or worst year of my life, and also the best year of my life. On March 14th, I, I lost my best friend, who I just loved to death and who was just the ideal woman for me. Um, you know, sometimes you talk to people that are married, they go, well, you know, yeah, it's my wife. She was the best for me. Well, um, yes, I am an evangelist, and yes, I'm ordained, and yes, I can lead people to Jesus, but now what are you supposed to do? Um, so um, I waited a couple weeks. I went back to work, and our pastor said, uh, uh, well, why don't you come over to our house, we're going to have, uh, have dinner for Easter. And I said, no, I'm okay. Everything's okay. I'm okay. So I went back to work the day after Easter, and uh, I got through the day, man, I, I had, you know, I was off for three months. I had 300 emails to go through. You know, I had, like, compliance I had to go through. I had all this stuff I had to go through. Well, I, everything went well that day. Then at 5 o'clock when my day was over, for the first time in my life, I had to go home without her to take care of. And at that point, I didn't want to go home. It was the roughest time. That was my roughest day at that point. And I got, somehow I got home that night and I don't know what was going on and and I sunk to my lowest I've ever been in my life. And that was in April. And I uh, started having some really bad thoughts and really bad things were going on in my in my heart and and uh, it was a very difficult time. And the uh, Colbacker house where she had, her body had died. Uh, they kept con- contacting me and saying, why don't you come out and do some grief counseling? Why don't you come out? And I'm like, wait a minute, dude, I'm a pastor. I, I-, I can handle this. I couldn't. So I-, I went out and I started doing grief counseling. And the grief counselor was really great. And he really helped me out tremendously. To, not to get over the love of my life, but just to help me through the time. Because it, at that time, I was going through. And he encouraged me at that point. Because at that time, guys, I tell you what, all my prayers were, Lord, just take me home. Just take me home. I'm ready to go. I've got nothing else to live for. Please take me home. And I would not submit to what God wanted me to do. And it got worse and worse and worse. And finally, one night in, uh, in April, I had enough. And I bowed my head, and I remember laying on the floor just saying, God, whatever you want me to do in my life. If you want to take me tonight, take me. But if you want me to live, let me live. And at that point, I could feel this change in my life. And I didn't know really what was going on. I had no idea. what. I'd never been through something like this before. Who has? And I didn't know what was going on. And and God started working a tremendous thing in my life. And that whole month of April, God was just working and working and working in my life. And then in May, um, the counselor said, oh, by the way, You kind of need to go get a physical. That's something you really need to do. Go to your doctor, get checked out, make sure everything's okay. He knew I was going through some changes. And I said, okay. So in May, I went into my doctor, and my doctor looked at me, and she said, what's going on? uh, Christine was also uh, also her doctor, too. And I said, well, you know, uh, Christine died. She said, what's going on? And I said, what do you mean? She says, you've lost 50 pounds, 50 pounds. And I said, well, um, I don't know. And um, she says, well, let me run you through a bunch of tests. She thought I was sick. She thought I was going through another because I'd had multiple heart attacks. I'm an H1N1 survivor. I've had all kinds of arthritis and gout issues. And she'd been my doctor through all that. And she kept saying, well, let me check you out. And she. made me go through all this extensive test. Well, let me tell you what happened. A few years ago, I had had a couple heart attacks and I had what they call a lateral infarction where the bottom left part of my heart was blown out with my heart attacks. So I was living my life with a partial heart. And she went in and did all these x-rays. Guess what, folks? My heart regrew and it was whole again. My heart rate grew and it was whole again. Then she said, well, they looked at my lungs, where I had four spots in my lungs from H1N1, and I survived H1N1. And she says, wait a minute, those spots are gone. And then she, she looked at my test, and, at, and she ran everything. In the wintertime, I'm on crutches, or I'm in a wheelchair because I have severe gout. And she ran everything because at one time they were going to amputate my left foot. I had gout so bad. And let me explain to you what gout is. In case you don't know what gout is, that's like someone putting ground glass in your joints and asking you to move them. Thank you. If you've ever had gout, you understand what gout is. It's the most painful thing you ever have. It never goes away. There's no cure for it. And somehow the testing showed there's no more gout. And then she looked at me, and I I had Parkinson's disease. How am I doing, folks? The Parkinson's is gone. So God started just healing me from head to toe. And it was just a tremendous thing I was going through, and I just could not understand what was going on. And I was very thankful. But I lost my best friend. I lost my wife. I lost everything. And I kept crying out to God, well, God, you know, you healed me over everything. And one Saturday night, I laid in bed. And I just, I mean, I laid, I was down on my my basement, I kept crying out, God, I just, just please send me a Christian woman. Well, during this time, um, Wanda had uh, asked me, I, I know that I've been an evangelist, and I've worked in the prison systems, and I've done a lot of things, and, and um, I was also a chief probation officer in the court system, and done AA and NA, and Wanda knew this, and she said, hey, would you talk to one of our church members? Um, or his, his son is going into, uh, into prison for the second time, would you talk to him? I, you know, I shared my testimony with her, and I said, "Sure." So Steve Lowry came up, and, and I said, "Steve, I, if you want to talk, you're gonna meet me in church. We're gonna sit here, and we're gonna talk." He said, "Okay, I'll be there." And one thing with all alcoholics is they make all kind of promises, but they never follow through with them. Steve Lowry showed up that day, and I, as a counselor, you have these books, and they're called 365, and it's scriptures that you can read every day that will help you with your cures, and it'll help you uh, get on the right path through your alcoholism. So I, uh, Wanda and I and, and a few others were standing in the back, and I said, Steve, what I want you to do is I want you to take out this book, it's called 365, I want you to write your name in today's date in here like I did with my New Testament. As I was going through, I love saying this, and, and brother, forgive me, as I was going through little preacher school, what they do is they teach you to go ahead and get a New Testament so that it's the Roman road, so you can go ahead and whip that out, so when someone asks you you know, they want to accept the Lord. You just open up your Bible and you lead them them to the Lord. And as a soul winner, that's something I've had in my hands. And as you can see, it's got my name and it says January 1987. So, this this little New Testament has never left my hands since 1987. Well, Wanda looks at me and she says, oh, by the way, like, can I take that home and do a, a Bible like that? And I'm like, well, I know where you live. You live around the corner. I don't know you that well. Yeah, okay. Take it home. So, she took it home that day. I said, I need it back to work. You know, I need it back next week. So, she brought this back to me next week. Well, it came back to me next week, and the night before that, I just prayed for God to send me a a Christian woman because I was so, you know, when you miss a lovely lady like I had for so long, I, I just was so lonely and and so, the next day, um, Ruth Ann Hatfield brought this New Testament back up to me. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And she said, this is kind of cool. Can I go ahead and take this home and, and, and write stuff down? And, uh, and inside of me, I'm going, no. And God said, yes. First of all, I didn't remember Ruth, and I, and I didn't really know where she lived, and I didn't want to lose this because I've had this for over 20 or 30 years. And she, so, she takes it home and and uh, then Ruth Ann, she brings it back next week, and we become friends, and and uh, things work out really well. Well, the one thing I'm trying to tell you is, is that one of our key things that we do in our prayer ministry, it says, prayer it changes everything. Jeremiah 3:33:30 3, says, call to me and I will answer you. Well, Ruth Ann had introduced me to her family, and, and she has a granddaughter that that uh, uh, has cancer and had had a stroke. And um, throughout the course of the summer, she'd had a really bad day. And they had to take her to the hospital, and things weren't going very well. And that Saturday night, God woke me up, and he says, you're going to pray for her. And you're going to go out there, and you're going to heal her. I said, wait a minute, wrong guy. I can lead you to the Lord, but, man, I'm no healer. I can't do anything like that. You're wrong, God, got the wrong guy. I stutter. I don't do well. This is not my thing. God, you got the wrong guy. God kept me up all night long. Tell me exactly what to do. So I came to church that next morning, and I came out, and I saw them, and I started praying for little man around a little bit. And she can, she really doesn't have much control of anything else, and she just lays there and and uh, and has uh, and watches TV, and it's it's just so sad. Um, and then God says, you sit there and you start praying with her, and and. Things are going to be okay. I'm like, okay. Well, I start praying for her, and, and, and um, things are happening. Now things have progressed so far this year that before she couldn't really talk and things. And every time she goes back to the doctors, the doctor says, I don't know what's going on. Man, she's getting healed. Things are beautiful. And I praise God for that. It's nothing that I do. It's what God's using me as an instrument to, to, to work in, in Ruth Ann's life. Then um, I was at a Clippers game. And uh, my friend kept calling me, kept calling me, kept calling me. He says, and I finally got back to him. You know, I, I can't take my cell phone into a Clippers game, I can't hear it anyway. So um, he, he kept calling me and he says, Oh, by the way, my cancer came back. His name's Bob Wilson. You all know Bob. He lives here on Main Street, here in Groveport. Kathy Wilson's his wife, it works at the uh, police department. And Bob and I have been friends for years and years and years. I know Courtney and Whitney, his children, very well. And um, so Bob says, uh, Oh, by the way, I'm going to the James tomorrow. Uh, my cancer's back. And he said, I'm going in for treatment, and I don't know if I'm coming out. I said, okay. He said, would you come to the James and be with me? Yeah, remember, that's where, my, that's where Christine coded. I'm saying no, and God says yes. I said, okay, here we go. So I, I told his wife on Monday, Kathy, I'll be there. Well, I kept calling, calling, calling. You know, has 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 Bob got a room yet? Has Bob got a room yet? Okay, and then by about four o'clock that afternoon, she says, "Oh, he's got a room." Okay, I said, "What's the room number so I can meet you there?" It's fourteen seventy-seven. I said, no, "No, no, it's not. That's the room that my Christine was in while we were in the James." okay, well, I'm going to have every excuse I can not to go to the hospital today. I'm going to have to work over. I'm going to have to come up with something. God says, no, you're not. Get in the car. So somehow God got me in the car and he started driving me and somehow I found the James. And I, the scary thing is I pulled into the exact same parking place that I pulled in every day when I would leave there for the last three months when during this winter. And I knew exactly where room 1477 was, and the scary thing is, is that his daughter is standing right in the lobby waiting for someone to take her up, and I just walked right by her. Didn't even look at Whitney. She's standing right there, and I got up to the room, and, and I said, uh, hi, Bob, how you doing? He says, not good, and he said, uh, I think this is going to be it, and we started talking. His family came in, and we started praying, and he said, would you pray for me? And I said, Bob, I'd love to pray for you. Okay. Well, um, long story short, uh, Bob got healed from his cancer. And for the last two weeks, he's been working 40 hours a week back to his job, for 10 10-hour days. Man, I don't deserve, I didn't earn anything. God's been using me in a tremendous way. We've been able to, at work, God's been bringing people into my office day and night just for healing, just for 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 leading them to the Lord, and it's just been a tremendous. I know the pastor and I have, have just been sharing so much of what's going on and and how things have just changed in my life, and and it's been one of those things which, um, I I just uh, I don't understand what's going on. However, um, God did make me very humble at the first of October, one of the friends that I'd had, David Lovell that you all know very well, his wife worked for the city for years. And I just figured, well, you know, I prayed for Bob. Bob got healed. I'm going to pray for David. David's going to get healed. He passed away the first of October. And it really, really hit me pretty hard. But then God said, wait a minute. Um, I'm the one doing the healing. You just do what I tell you. I said, okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you only way I got in this position and the only way God is using me is that I totally surrendered my entire life to Christ. There's not one moment of my life it's not totally surrendered to him now. You know, folks, I hate to say this, but sometimes I feel he's holding me so tight I can feel his breath on my shoulders. Now, folks, I'm not a famous person. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not a world star athlete I didn't go to Ohio State I didn't do anything I'm just a common man I'm just one of these guys that just lives just like your neighbors and if God can do this for me he can do this for you I'm going to ask you right now today and for the first time in your life please surrender your life totally and wholly to Christ if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He can't heal you. He wants to hear that prayer of repentance first. So, folks, if you're here without Christ today, I'm going to ask you to receive Him today. Open up your heart and receive Him. If you're here today and you need healing in your life, you need just healing from whatever it is, whether it's an illness, whether it's a hurt relationship, whether no matter what kind of healing you need. Christ will heal you. He healed me, and he will heal you, and I promise you that because that's what his word says. So, folks, if you're here today in any shape or form, and you either need salvation or healing, I'm going to ask you to come forward. The pastor and I are going to be here at the end of the service. I'm going to ask you to come forward. We'll lead you in a word of prayer either for salvation or for healing. But, folks, today, especially during this new time of thanksgiving that we're having in our church. Please come to Christ today. Please come forward and get healed today. Let God take care of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. their heart that the need of salvation that father right now today they can have every single sin that they've ever committed forgiven and heaven will be their home for all eternity and father there's someone in the sound of my voice today who needs healing either emotionally or physically whatever healing it is father allow them father to open up their hearts and totally surrender to you father allow them father to drop the chains of the pain that they live in and father you're not a repair man. They want that you want to give them a brand new life. A new life that, Father, that they will never be able to ever understand until they just release and surrender every single thing to you. Father, you still perform miracles in everyone's lives today. Father, just open up the hearts of people today.
2: You stand with me. Let's sing this song to us. my joy to honor
0: Last uh, testimony that we're going to hear. Um, this is very near and dear to me. This is my son-in-law, and uh, grateful to God for him. He's a very uh, just uh, on fire, young man, for the Lord, and does not hesitate in sharing his faith. and And the really good news, and the grateful part of my heart, is that yeah, he married my daughter, took her out of the house, and now <laughs> we're, we're empty nesters. Okay, so yeah, no, Brian, you come on. And we, as you know, on Wednesday nights we have. Op- <laughs> We have, uh, thank you. We have open prayer night, and um, you know we believe that God heals, and we believe that God delivers, and God's still in the saving business, and uh, that that's the power of the gospel as displayed. Uh, and we're going to celebrate in a minute the Lord's Supper together as we close out our time. Um, so I'm going to let Brian share his his story. Uh, this was on a, a couple few weeks ago on a Wednesday night um, here in our church.
4: Good Brian. There it is. Um, so some of you guys know me, some of you guys don't. Um, I got to go on a men's retreat with some of you fellas, so that's how I met a lot of you. So for the ones who don't know me, I can uh, explain it in one way that you guys will get to know me really quick, and it's the shortest version. I'm the taller version of Phil Hahn. Um, I was going to say taller, darker, more handsome, but man, he tans really well, so I didn't want to take that from him. Um, No, when I say that, um, I'm a down-to-earth guy, I'm a joyful heart, Um, I like to be funny and uh, bring a smile to your face, and I'm passionate for God and and Jesus, and that's my brother, Phil, and uh, um, like I said, I wanted to open with a joke, and um, the Browns uh, could have done the trick, but um, I wanted to. Um. So, um, Pastor Greg, he wanted me to share my testimony about what happened on a Wednesday night here for me. Uh, but now that is a part of my full testimony. So, um, I kind of condensed it, but I want to share that with you um, this morning. So, I started going to church when I was 16. Um, a friend of mine um, asked if I wanted to go to church, and I'm like, no. I wasn't raised in the church. My family doesn't go to church. I'm like, no, thank you he's like, no, don't worry, we're just going to play basketball, we're going to play dodgeball. And I'm like, all right, fine, I'll go. And I went and I loved it, played basketball, dodgeball, and he was like, the only thing is there's going to be a 10-minute message afterwards. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So that happens, and I continue to go, and I continue to play basketball. But every Wednesday, there was a girl with her arms lifted high, and she was full of emotion, and I'm like, I want that. So that year... um, God got me to church by sports, and God is the one that kept me there. And that year, I gave my life to the Lord, and he called me into youth ministry. So um, I've been a youth leader at my old church for about eight years now, and uh, it's been awesome. But ever since I was about seven, probably even before that, but that's when I truly remember I have suffered from extreme anxiety. Um, It's just taken over my life, and it's always been there. So when I turned 18, I was like, you know what, I'm in good with the church. I had this um, amazing cast around me. I'm finally going to open up about my anxiety. So I go to the church, and this one person came to me, and he took a Bible, and he thumped me with it. He hit me hard with it. And he was just like, Brian, um, are you reading? Are you in your devotions? Hey, Brian, are you doing this? Hey, Brian, are you doing this? The moral of the story, hey, Brian, it's your fault. Um, You're not doing something right by God. Um, You're failing God. Um, What are you doing um, in your life that is causing God to give you this anxiety and this hurt and this fear? So I kind of built this little half barrier, um, and I kept it in. So that same year, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go to the doctor finally. I'm going to go seek help. And like I said, I was 18 years old at this time. So when I went to the doctor, unfortunately, it was an epidemic where – um, teenagers my age was going for pills. and They were trying to just uh, push pills, sell pills, go to different doctors. So I went in there and I had a fight. I had to say, "Look, I am really sick. Something is really wrong with me." And he turned me away. So that half barrier turned into a full barrier. And I said, "Okay, I'll just hold my anxiety and I'll just keep it, and uh, I'll hold it in." And the only people that ever knew about it was my family when they seen me on the ground, and um, that was the only people who knew. And Um, I just held it in for um, a very long time. So four years ago, I uh, met this beautiful girl named Stacy, which is now my wife, and um, I was finally um, able to share it with somebody else. But there's only so much a human can do when somebody's having an anxiety attack. And um, for the past two years, well, I'd say for maybe the past year, my anxiety has turned into a deep depression. And I don't know why, because I have a beautiful wife. We have a beautiful son. We got a house. Things are going so well, but I'm, I am living in a dark, dark world, and I am alone. I'm afraid, and there's only so much you can do. So um, I was at work on a Friday. I just started a new job, and uh, these two guys uh, found out that I knew Jesus, and I loved Jesus, and they came at me with a different kind of Bible and thumped me again. I'm like, man, I'm tired of getting thumped by Bibles. And um, their belief is that uh, you are born going to heaven or you are born going to hell. There's no switching it. You're predetermined. And uh, they are just grilling me and grilling me and grilling me. And uh, it really takes its toll on me because I'm trying to fight back, I'm trying to fight back. And they are grilling me, grilling me, grilling me. And i and one of the guys just had a son named Cooper as well. And I said, are you sure you can tell me that you can look in your son's eye and say, there's a chance that God is predestined him to go to hell and you're okay with it? And he says, well, I guess I'd have to be. But these guys are just crushing me and crushing me. So had a bad day. Uh, Stacy goes out with her friend that night. So me and Cooper's at home. My mom and dad call to see if I wanted to take Cooper over. So I take him over. And I feel this overwhelming emotion inside of my body. And I felt it all night. So I'm like, okay, if I can get to see Cooper in the car, if I can get home, we'll go to sleep, and I'll get through it. So I get Cooper strapped in. And as soon as I get him strapped in, my body just it just seizes up. I have one of the worst anxiety attacks of my life. I'm in my mom's bathroom for an hour, uh, scared, hopeless. The only thing I can remember was looking at my wife and say, I'm broken. I'm broke. And um, I've been living my life for Christ, right? I've been doing everything I can. I've been serving, right? And I'm broken. And it's my fault. I'm still believing it's my fault somewhere. I'm not doing something right by God. So Greg and Marla come on uh, Saturday morning, the very next morning, to pick Cooper up for the day. And we just got a new dog. So me and Greg are outside uh, playing with the dog. And I told him what happened, and I kind of told him that somebody at church a long time ago told me it was probably my fault. And he said, why don't you just come to a Wednesday night service, come to get prayed for. And I said, okay. And I also reached out on Facebook that night, and somebody gave me some information for a counselor. So I'm like, it's time that I get help. So I go on Wednesday night, and my life was forever changed. Um, I'm sitting right there. And I have a bunch of people around me praying, and I was dealing with back problems, so I'm bent over and uh, I'm like, Can I just lay on the floor? Can I lay on the floor? I'm hurting. And while I was sitting there, we kind of figured out the stem of my anxiety. My mom has always been sick, she's still sick, and uh, the fear of death, the fear of dying, the fear of her dying, we figured out that's probably what has the stronghold on me. So, I lay uh, flat on my stomach right there, and they begin to pray. They begin to pray, and my father in law tells me um, afterwards that my body just started um, seizing. It um, just started to do things that a normal body don't do. And in my mind, I'm hearing one thing, and these guys are just hearing a cry, they're hearing a scream, they're healing. They're not hearing what I'm hearing. So when it's all said and done, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I, can, I know I'm crying. I know I'm loud. And when I'm done, I just hear, <sighs> and I took a super long breath, and it was so nice. And I'm sitting there on the carpet like, I'm so scared. I, I just don't know what happened. I can't believe these people aren't, like, f- afraid for their lives um why aren't they saying what i you know i didn't know they didn't see what i or heard what i heard so i'm like why aren't they freaking out because i'm kind of freaking out and um i said do you guys hear that did you guys hear that and they're like well we heard you crying and weeping And i'm like no you guys had to hear it it was so loud you had to hear it and they're like buddy we didn't hear anything and i said i just fought a demon and um it was so intense. And listen, if they ever told me that I was coming here to fight a demon, I would have been in North Carolina chilling. <laughs> I don't I don't play games. Um But my body fought a demon. And it was the scariest part of my life. And when I when I took that deep breath, God had delivered me through that. And uh, so I get up, and uh, there's two things that um, I want to bring about this testimony, this new part of my testimony, and uh, Norm, he comes and gives me a hug, and he about breaks my back again, because he's really strong. Um, Norm gives me a hug, and Norm was at the men's retreat, so he's heard me pray. I love to pray. He's heard me pray. He's kind of seen me... um, with my relationship with God, and he says, hey, before tonight, with this thing living inside of you, you were a warrior for God. Just imagine what you're going to do now. So the very next day, I went to work. I said, forget you two who is trying to um, stir me down some evil stuff. I went to another guy, and I shared my testimony, and the very next week, he was here praying. So through... Um, So God is already working um, through me surrendering, but what I really want to get out of this, for the last 20 years, I have held this inside on my own. I have living in a dark place. When you see me, you're never going to know I'm sad. You're never going to know that there was something wrong with me. Um, I was fine. You would never understand who I was unless you were around me. But when I was home, I was dark. I was living in a place that was very scary. So if anybody's here or later in life, um, is going through something like that, um, it took one person and one doctor to make me just keep holding this in. And, um, I just want to let you guys know that you're not alone and that you don't have to fight by yourself and you could be on fire for God and still something hold you back. And, um i got to say, um, Greg has been a huge blessing in my life. He has reached out to me on many occasions, and that's just one person for me. That person might not be for you. It could be Brian. It could be Brian. It could be Brian. It could be Brian. Um, your one person could be in this room right now. And it only takes for you to understand that whoever has put you in a place where you think that um, it's your fault, it's not. If there's one person out there that says you're broken and you can't be fixed, you're not. There's somebody in here that can show you what you're worth. There's somebody in here that can show you what you, um, what you truly can do when you're free. Um, and uh, that's all I got.
2: you stand with me? One last song before we take the Lord's Supper together. Sometimes in the darkest moment of the night, the only thing you can do is cry out the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name. That is a powerful name, a wonderful name. You were the the chorus was.